This week on Thriving the Future podcast, I have Ryan Mitchell Brown back with me, and we talk about autoimmune disease. And I share my challenges with Hashimoto's autoimmune disease. We also talk about food allergies, using food as therapy, light therapy, and controlling your light exposure, especially at night. And one key you can't out supplement your way out of a bad lifestyle. Usual disclaimer. We are sharing our personal experiences. This is not necessarily medical advice. Let's get to the episode. Welcome to Thrive in the Future podcast, positive solutions to help you thrive, designing your intentional life, homesteading, gardening, and rediscovering culture and tradition. At Grow Nut Trees, it's elderberry time. It's elderberry cuttings. I also have some plants left that are bare root and also comfrey and comfrey crowns. That's at GrowNutTrees.com. Okay, welcome back to Thrive in the Future. This week I have Ryan with me again. So welcome, Ryan. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. It was it was a blast last time. Unfortunately, not outside. Dead of winter. I was outside a little bit earlier, but I sun might be setting in the next hour or so where I'm at. So mm-hmm. didn't didn't feel like doing the podcast in the dark and also outside in the cold. But I bet you got your be out there. You got your red light on and you've got your uh, your blue filtering glasses on. Yeah, no, I always got that stuff on on the inside. This this is really primarily for nighttime. I think I just use it during the day because it's like the the main light. I have a full spectrum bulb in my uh, bedside table lamp right there as well. Pretty cool thing about that is you can flick it on and it cycles through different tones of light. So you can actually flick it on once. It'll be bright. And then flick it on again, it'll be like orange yellow tint. And then okay. around sunset, I'll flip that off and flip that one on and leave mm-hmm. that on for the main lighting at night. But we'll kind of get into that a little bit, I'm sure. Sure. Yeah. So one of the things I want to talk about, and so the folks listening at home, it's the middle of January. This yep. will post toward more towards the end of January, first part of February. And uh, most of you probably have given up on your diets by now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, statistically, you're, yeah, you're it's at least half. Just- yeah. So one of the things I'm seeing is, uh, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this is I've got Hashimoto's, uh, basically autoimmune thyroid disease. And, and so it's been, as I get older, it, it starts hitting a little bit more like, you know, right now I've got, I got a little bit off the wagon on my, uh, on my diet and been having a lot of brain fog. And that's one of the things that really it presents itself is I start having brain fog and then sometimes it gets really bad to the point where I'm going to type in my password and just for a second, it's fleeting. Mm-hmm. It's just like right on. It's like having something on the tip of your tongue, but it's not there, you know, and stuff. So um, that's when it's really bad. So at that point, I say, yeah, it's about time to go back on the autoimmune protocol diet for a month. Background on autoimmune protocol, at least the way I've been doing it, is that you cut out all the stuff that would trigger inflammation. You cut out the wheat, you cut out the dairy, nuts, a lot of nuts. You can eat some nuts as well as cut out the nightshades, the peppers, and sometimes the potatoes, and then cut out seed oils, which you should cut out anyway, right? And the whole idea is to go about a month to two months that way, and then see how you feel, and then reintroduce them back. And most of us have some sort of food allergy. So all of those commercials that we see on TV of, you know, 
of all these rash medicines and mm-hmm. yeah. You know, right now it's like super, um, what's the scaly psoriasis medicines are just like nonstop on TV. Uh, and, it's, it's, uh, it's madness. A lot of people say that those clear up if you if you start eliminating some of those things from your diet. What what have you seen? Yeah, I mean, skin health stuff is really fascinating. So as a kid um, growing up, and it's probably even more common than when I was growing up, but I, I grew up actually in, in your back country over there in the Midwest. and. Mm-hmm. Um, around wheat harvest time, uh, I would get the worst seasonal allergies, um, just the worst ever. Like I could not breathe. I would pop a Claritin, like, like someone with ADHD takes Adderall. Like I was just like popping this, I was popping Tums. Like if I had bad, like gastric pain, like I was all every day for that whole season of harvest was just really terrible. And I never really made the connection to what. I was putting in my mouth as having a connection to exacerbating these allergic symptoms uh, that were nasal. But also as a kid, I had quite bad eczema, which I Mm -hmm. think is a very, I mean, most people don't even recognize it as an autoimmune condition, but it, but it is. And I feel like telltale signs of autoimmunity that are super easy to pick up for sort of the common person that are a little bit a little more under the radar, not as um, exacerbating as something like ankylosing spondylitis where your back's literally like fusing, is are things like skin rash and skin conditions, histamine intolerances, um, nasal issues, and seasonal allergies. Those are all like forms of immune functions, you know, giving you the red flag, like, hey, something is up. And so sure. I actually have a client right now with a with ex- severe eczema or, well, she had, when she came to me in April, she had severe eczema and another autoimmune skin condition called HS. And I can't remember what that acronym stands for, um, but it's basically where you get scar tissue on the skin surface. And then that scar tissue causes pain, um, even some nerve damage at times, um, but really inflammatory skin conditions. And whenever I see someone with a skin condition, I think about two things. One is food. I mean, two's environment just in general. But three is like majorly like gut health. Like when usually skin stuff is a huge sign of gut dysbiosis. Now, that's like a huge buzzword that's been thrown around for like the last seven years in the functional medicine community. I don't, I want to put too much weight behind it. I do think it's a thing. I think Mm -hmm. it's important. I think there's a thousand ways you could tackle it. Um, But there's, I mean, I I think it was like Hippocrates or uh, said like all disease begins in the gut. I agree with that to an extent, mm-hmm. but it goes a lot further because um, when I look at it, I really go up from a quantum perspective and I'm like, okay, if you have any issue, most likely it's some form of mitochondrial dysfunction. Really? And when we think about mitochondria, what is their main purpose? It's basically to make energy. Um, the general basis is they make an dentist. Uh, triphosphate atp now there's actually a lot of other supportive evidence that says there's a lot more to it than atp atp is actually maybe even not the most important step uh in energy production like there's things like melanin um but the whole idea is like we're shuffling these uh electrons and stuff around the body but there's a lot of things that impact mitochondrial function and diet's only one of those things so mm-hmm. i think to hit the ground running for anyone that's new i think getting into something like aip is a fantastic like first line of defense to really get uh, a line of consistency. I always say that 
basically the keys to success are just, it's not about being perfect. It's about rigorous consistency. It's about how you can be 2% better every single day. And we kind of talked about it a little bit in our first episode. Um, sure. I think AIP and she actually, the, when she came to me with HS and really bad eczema and nerve pain, um, she had already done AIP and seen some success, um, but she was still dealing with some of these uh, issues with nerve issues and histamine intolerances. And that's where we actually had to dive a little bit further than just diet to get to the root of her issues to see some real systemic change. But mm -hmm. I think AI things like AIP are such a good introductory way of introducing someone to lifestyle change. And I think yeah. for a, a huge percentage of the population, it can probably knock out 99% of your problems. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd love to maybe get into some of the issues with things like uh, grain products um, and stuff like that in general, because often we think of, uh, I think first first line of defense people go to is like, oh, carbohydrates, driving up inflammation, insulin resistance, sure. um, things like that. We actually need to go a little bit deeper and think about things like herbicides, pesticides sprayed on these yep. things, especially around wheat, where they actually use glyphosate at the end cycle before harvest to reduce the amount of mold that's grown. And so when you eat a wheat product, you're not just getting a normal dose of herbicides and maybe be getting with other vegetables. You're actually getting a higher dosage because of the time of year they spray it right yeah. at the end. Whereas with other plants, sometimes they spray it earlier in the season and you have time for rainfall to kind of wash some of it off. Of course, gets into the soil and that's a whole nother thing. But uh, especially I think about with celiac, I actually think celiac is as much a gluten problem as it is a glyphosate problem. Because mm -hmm. we actually, we interviewed um great person to get on the show maybe would be Dr. Stephanie Sinek, um, who does a lot of research on glyphosate. Um, and we talked to her about the huge upticks in things like celiac disease after this new, um, the new use for glyphosate on wheat at the end of, uh, end of harvest started. Just right. Huge Not only are they doing it to wheat, they started doing it to corn. We have cornfields up the road and all of a sudden in October, you know, everything's almost brown. And all of a sudden mm -hmm. this crop duster dude starts flying over and I'm going, what is he doing? And he's buzzing the corn and, and spraying it. And it's like the corn's brown, dude, what are you doing? And then, <laughs> uh, and then we found out that they're spraying that to make it dry out yeah. and then, inhibit the mold so that they can get it to market quicker. And it's just like, that's insane. Like you were saying, if you spray it in the, in the spring, that's bad enough. And then it runs off and it goes in the river and stuff. But you know, if you spray it right before harvest, that's not going to wash off, especially mm -hmm. in Kansas where it doesn't really rain that much in the fall. Yeah. And so, I mean, all that's going straight into your food supply. So yeah, that really stands out. Even within AIP, I think it's really critical when you're dealing with like pretty systemic problems that um, even if it's just dry skin, like dry skin can be a sign that like stuff's trying to get out. Like I used to have really bad, um, my eczema kind of changed. I think when hormonal changes happened in my teens and kind of dissipated a little sure. bit. Um, but I always had really bad winter dry skin. And I always assumed I was just like one of those folks that, you know, this, I wasn't meant for winter is kind of what I thought. And I just got really bad dry skin. My hands would peel. My knuckles would literally uh, have fissures in the cracks. Yep. And when I started looking, when I developed my autoimmune disease in 2019, um, and I started taking diets seriously and lifestyle seriously, I noticed after about a year of doing it, that my first winter, after I started making all these changes, I didn't get dry skin in the winter anymore. And I wasn't moisturizing. 
And I think sure. it had to do with the removal of like some of these foods, obviously seed oils are in there too. And I think um, if you look at it from a perspective of not necessarily what you need to add to your life, but what you need to take away, I think more people find benefit from what they take away more than what they add because it's all yeah, about input and output, you know? And so AIP is sort of like an introductory elimination diet. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it can be a great way to get started. What I'd love to know sort of your experience too, just, I know you've talked about it on the podcast, but I'd love to just hear your side just on what we're talking about, like trouble areas you found within AIP when you were doing it and maybe how were you able to reintroduce foods on, on the way back at all? So my story, I was, uh, I was going along just fine. All of a sudden I'm just tired all the time. I went in and I had the typical low, low thyroid, right? Hypothyroid. So, okay, we'll put you on, we'll put you on Synthroid. And so I start taking Synthroid and it really doesn't change too much, you know, cause one of the problems with Synthroid is it, it handles the TSH, but it doesn't really handle the T3. So, you know, you usually have to take the T3 thing and some people don't convert it. So that makes it even worse. But um, so then I went back and it really didn't change too much. And then I got with a, a, a functional doc who said, okay, so you need to go on this AIP thing and you've got an autoimmune. So basically what how it works with Hajimoto's is something happens and your body starts attacking your thyroid. Either you got a leaky gut and something got in, some protein got in there that your body attacked and then it got used to that protein and now it's attacking your thyroid or something else, right? And you get these TPO antibodies that are really high. So I started AIP diet. One of the keys that I saw that was a big deal was to keep a food diary. And then, and now I can go back and I can look at it and say, oh, that's what I was eating. And I cut out all of the stuff we were talking about. I cut out the wheat. And that seems to make a big deal just from the wheat belly type stuff. You know, you have to be careful because people go, oh, well, this is paleo and paleo is okay. And this, uh, you know, this, um, this corn is, uh, is okay. And then that, that's a problem. You don't want to put the grains back in either. Peanuts are not a nut. They're a legume and chickpeas are also a legume. And it's funny because like Joseph uh, Lofthouse, he's, he's really big making um, his, his own special seed that works in his climate. He adapts the seed so that it works in his climate. And he said, if you stop eating peanuts and you stop eating the chickpeas for a while, when you, when you first have them, they're disgusting. And I mean, I like eat peanut butter now and it's disgusting. I can't, it it's tastes bitter, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I totally get that. So, you know, so it, it seemed like peanuts were a big problem. Uh, wheat, of course, was a really big problem. I would still have, if I had potatoes, it would it would give me a blood sugar spike. So, you know, I don't have a nightshade problem with potatoes, but, you know, it was still causing too much of a spike and a little bit of brain fog. So, mm-hmm. you know, cut that out. And then, uh, um, it, and it's kind of funny because, you know, they, a lot of people replace this stuff with... Um, almonds or with, um, you know, want to drink almond milk because most of it has seed oil in it. And then uh, coconut milk's not bad if it's organic, but it, it's funny. This one lady was uh, was going, she had a full workup of what she was allergic to. Coconut and almonds were okay. So she was eating raw, raw almonds. She was eating uh, coconut milk and stuff. And then after being on AIP for a while, 
she suddenly started having problems and she went back and she had developed a, an allergy to coconut. Wow. That's wild. So it's like, you know, and she's going, no, what am I going to eat? Yeah. And I was on that for, um, a modified AIP for two years and mm-hmm. lost 30 pounds and, you know, nice. was doing really well. And then, you know, little by little it's, oh yeah, well I can have that at this birthday party and, yeah. you know, or something like that. And then, uh, next thing you know, you fall off the wagon. <laughs> no, I've totally been there, man. That's just, I swear that's just part of the process and you, you test, I mean, if you don't test the waters, you'll never know what your body can tolerate. You know what I mean? And I want people to live their life to the fullest. So I don't want them to like not, you know, enjoying some of the, you know, partakings of life, but they need to know their limits and what it's worth to them. You know, I always tell clients, like I told them just around the holidays, um, a couple of weeks ago, like Christmas and New Year's, I was like, you know, you know, I'm not going to tell you not to splurge, just know going into it, what the consequence is and make a decision. Is it worth it? And if it is just deal with it and get back on the horse the next mm-hmm. day. I mean, I definitely indulged in some like convenience myself just for fun. Didn't go crazy. Um, like didn't binge eat or anything, but I think, I mean, that's just part of life. I mean, the, the idea for me is like we to create resilience, right. And sure. everybody's at their own place. Everyone has their own deficits and everyone has their own, you know, toxic bucket. That's to filled to a certain degree. So you just kind of got to figure out where it is for you. Um, I always tell people that the fundamental principles around health are pretty easy. Um, and we talked about some of them just now, but when it comes to application and, and, you know, figuring out a plan, that's where the nuances and the complexity comes in. Um, but I know for me, like over time, things have just gotten simpler and simpler. The more knowledge you have, like the easier things are to implement. And when something goes wrong, you don't freak out about it. You just kind of make a detour over here. Or like you said, right. get back on the horse of AIP. And that's the beauty of it. I think the scariest times are when you don't know, you don't have this fundamental knowledge yet. And you're just, you're just sort of like throwing poop at a dartboard, you know, and you're right. going to all the doctors and you don't know what's wrong. That's when stuff seems scary. But I have moments where like, you know, I'll do something that caused me to not, you know, my, maybe it gives me a little more fatigue or if I stay up too late at night, two nights in a row. And I'm like, oh man, like that really threw off my circadian rhythm or whatever. I, I don't get upset about it now because that doesn't help. In fact, mm-hmm. it makes it worse. I just get back on the horse. You know what I mean? That's yeah. all you can do. And um, that's the whole thing. Every day is a new day. So instead of saying, you know, I, I messed up just, Hey, today's a brand new slate. Get on the, like you said, yeah. get back on the horse and go for it, you know? 100%. And, and that's, and that's real important. One of the things I also noticed was I would, I didn't, I don't have very good digestive enzymes. So I do take a mm-hmm. supplement for digestive enzymes as long as it doesn't have a bunch of extra stuff added to it, you know, cause mm-hmm. you can have like the guar gums and the, yeah. you know, the, the, the other stuff that's filling up that, that capsule or whatever it is. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and a lot of people say that you actually need to take more of the, of the acid to break mm-hmm. some stuff down. So, you know, some people, some people, people benefit from that. But totally. usually it, mine goes over the, if I, if I take more acid, then it, it goes over the top, but you know, so what do yeah, you, no. what have you uh, seen from a supplement standpoint? Yeah. So I think supplements um, are an area that goes one of two ways or three ways, really. It's like 
you go into it, you don't, you kind of have a little bit of knowledge, um, don't necessarily know how to apply it to yourself. So you do them, you feel nothing. That's one route mm-hmm. that happens usually. Um, that's the route that happened to me, me many times. Um, another one is you take something and it might make a problem worse in your case, like taking too much acid, actually increasing stomach acid over a threshold that isn't comfortable for your body. Um, or three, um, a combination of both really. And then just spending tons of money and having all these things laying around. So I start really basic with people, to be frank, I try to get someone where they're either not taking anything or I get them off of most everything for at least a month or so, just to get kind of a baseline of like, what's going on. Like let's shift some diet stuff around. Let's shift some lifestyle stuff around and just see like what's baseline you look like on Mm -hmm. nothing. Um, because sometimes it's like you, with the, with, like I said, it's all about inputs and outputs. The more supplements you have, that's just a bunch of more inputs that we don't know what's interacting with what we don't know which supplements working, which one's not now digestive enzyme is usually one of the earliest ones I would, um, suggest to somebody, um, or me took, I, I actually only stopped taking them four or five months ago. Mm-hmm. And it's simply because I ran out and I was like, let's just see what happens. Cause I've been on them for like a couple of years. Let's, let's see if I've like made some progress. And so far I haven't had any digestive issues. Um, and I had issues with like fat absorption for a while. So it, it, it's kind of cool to see how your body can adjust over long periods of time. Um, definitely the biggest areas that I see people struggle is like the ability to break down protein and yeah. the ability to break down fats, especially when someone makes like a dramatic diet shift to maybe a low carb, high fat diet, or maybe they want to do carnivore animal based and they just mm-hmm. switch it overnight. Like your body doesn't just suddenly flow bile out of the liver into the bile, into the stomach, like fluidly overnight, especially when you're not using it. It sometimes you need to take something like Tudka or ox bile to kind of ease the burden into the new shift because your yeah. body just doesn't switch over. I mean, um, and then I, I, is it hydrochloric acid is that, or HCL? HCL. Yeah, it's yeah. basically like benzene, benzene, yeah. Yeah, whatever usually right. HCL and oxbile or Tudka are like the three big ones, but usually I just have someone take like a broad spectrum one that has low fillers like you were mentioning sure. to kind of cover the bases and just see like, hey, what's the lowest dose we can get away with and resolve this? I had a client um, in November that I onboarded and like he, he came to me with like his problems were mainly digestive mm-hmm. and we switched his diet up, got him on some enzymes, and that was pretty much solved in like a couple of weeks. And then now we're actually trying to taper those off to see like, hey, what's your threshold like without them? Because right. he was doing, he's, he's in a carnivore diet right now uh, for winter season. He's in Northern Latitude, New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, 200 grams, and he's trying to put on some weight and like 200 grams of fat is a lot of fat. Like it's almost an abnormal amount of fat to eat daily in any evolutionary scenario. Right. Um, so you might need some support to like get to that threshold. Cause it's frankly like, it's not normal really to like eat a stick of butter every day. Like just, it just wouldn't really happen. <laughs> so yeah. if you're going to do something like that, you might need some support. I think those are sort of the biggest ones. Um, there's definitely some areas where I look at um, some genetic SNPs. I don't read into it too hard. Because I think epigenetics trump genetics by far. But I mean, things like MTHFR are important to know. They're super common. Like people kind of go off about MTHFR and B vitamin methylation, but mm-hmm. almost everyone has one SNP. Like some crazy percentage of people have like one. I have two. 
Um, I don't have to supplement crazy amounts of B vitamins to keep my homocysteine down. I just optimized it through food. Took me a while, but it's very possible. Sure. Um, but I like to look at things in like as like choline pathways, um, especially if brain fog is an issue. So if someone's done that workup, um, I'll look at their choline pathways because if you have uh, dysregulation in like your ability to synthesize like choline, even through food, uh, like me, um, like for instance, I got to eat like eight eggs to get the same amount of choline as someone could eat from like three. Really? Just because my pathway sucks. So they're just little nuances that we can kind of tinker at throughout the process. I don't normally start at like that level. I kind of start basic and work my way up as, as things like progress or don't progress. But um, it's super context dependent. I, I, I think there's, I think generally speaking, people are over supplementing. Um, yeah. If you could get somewhere where you're basically taking maybe a digestive enzyme and some magnesium, I think that's a great place to be in a modern living environment. Mm -hmm. um, it's almost impossible to like um, optimize magnesium if you live in a city in a modern environment where you're just getting drained from it all the time. Right. Uh, so that's one of those things where it's like, I could see a maintenance dose of that for like long periods um, in digestive enzymes, but super yeah, context so, dependent. So which, uh, which magnesium do you recommend? Because the there's the glycinate and the citrate yeah. and everything. And I've heard, uh, usually when I take the citrate, it tears me up. So I think I'm taking the glycinate right now. Yeah, glycinate's great for things like sleep. Um, there's like L-theanate or theanate. Mm -hmm. um, that I think that one, one of them crosses the blood-brain barrier. It might be that one. I'd have to double check. Um, but it's it's a little it's a little bit dependent on goals. Sometimes I mix and match. Like for instance, I took like a taurine uh, based taurate based magnesium for a while just for. Um, I think that was more for like muscle function and stuff. But right. I, like right now I'm on a citrate, but I do well with citrate. You kind of got to play around with it. I think glycinate works well for most people. It's very highly absorbed. Um, and is especially when we're working with sleep deficits, which almost 99% of anyone you meet that has a problem will have. Um, right. That's usually where I'll start with them is with like to glycinate and I'll have them kind of split the dose up so they maximize absorption. The only one that I always almost stay away from is the oxide, which is the one that doctors like to prescribe. Yeah, because you don't, you're not absorbing any of that. It's like, it, I don't even know why they prescribe it. To be honest with you, my girlfriend was on that when I first met her, and I was like, "No, we're throwing this away. Like, you're not getting any of this." Plus, with all the other like gut disruption, like you're probably absorbing even even less than a normal person would, and it's still low. So, yeah. pretty much, if you stay away from oxide, I think you're headed in the right direction. But mm -hmm. I, I'm a big fan of like glycinate and and maybe some citrate, depending on the situation. Sure. Um, trace minerals had some good, good branded ones with like, um, magnesium and a couple other trace minerals in it too. But if you're going for a straight magnesium, like any glycinate that doesn't have a bunch of fillers, pretty good way to start. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, sure. I agree. I, that lines up with my experience as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's too many people that are taking like mega supplements oh. and they've got additives and all this other stuff. And then it's, you know, it's not helping. Well, yeah. And the thing too, is like, I think people expect like when they supplement to have some sudden change and I never mm -hmm. once supplemented with anything and really noticed minus maybe the digestive enzymes. I don't think I ever really noticed like a crazy shift. And that's because you can't out supplement a bad lifestyle. Right. And that goes beyond food. Cause like if you're staying up till midnight every night, and you're not, or you have insomnia, 
Like you could supplement to the blue moon and maybe things like magnesium would help you a little bit um, or glycine or something like that. But if you're not like we're optimizing the circadian rhythm alongside that, it's like you're, you're, you're getting a, you're getting like a D plus <laughs> where you could be getting like an A, you know? And so I, if you, if you go from like, there's a lot of supplement protocols for like every autoimmune disease I've noticed mm-hmm. is where it's just like, take these 50 things and it'll go away. And maybe like, yeah, maybe it did for some people, but it's like, it's like, I, I just feel like it's not much different than taking a medication. <laughs> it's like, yeah. if you some need of those do- functional docs are making bank. Oh yeah. Just like, just like the pharma guys by, yeah. uh, you know, oh yeah, go in, uh, here, I'll set you up and you can, you order it with my code through such and such supplement. And then, yeah. uh, you know. Don't don't get it over at the store. Order it through my supplement thing. Yeah, so, and, you know. and that's the thing too is like I'm, I'm pursuing my nutritional therapy practitioner certifications right now, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things you get when you're done is like access to a website like Fullscript where you can write supplement protocols. Yep. Yeah, but I I honestly don't think I'm going to use it very often, um, just because through the experience I've already had coaching people plus my own experience over years of like doing exactly that, like following the functional medicine doctor, giving me 50 supplements that cost me $400 on top of the $1,200 I just paid him minus the fact that I'm probably paying another thousand dollars in fancy testing that just yep. gives me more supplements. It, it's sort of just like, uh, it just breaks bank when I think let's master the modalities that are free first or close to free. Like let's get the food sure. in order. Let's get the environment in order. Let's get those practices down and then we'll go to supplements maybe, you know? Mm-hmm. So what about, uh, what about testing for food sensitivities? How legit are those? Yeah. So I think some are more legit than others. Like for instance, my girlfriend has a lot of food allergies, something we've been working on over the last year. She's not as compliant with, mm-hmm. <laughs> with the strategies that you and I follow as, 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 uh, as I'd like her to be, we could be way further. Um, but she actually did like some of those uh, sort of blot tests where they like put it on your skin and then they watch the rate of irritation. I think those are more accurate than the ones you'll probably get at a functional medicine doctor. I actually have a client that I just onboarded right now who's also named Ryan, funnily enough, um, that did two different al- like food uh, allergy assays and they came back with like completely different results. Um, so you kind of got to take it with like a gigantic grain of salt. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they're invaluable, but I don't know if they're like, I don't know if there's something to make rash decisions over. I'm much more, I mean, the only real accurate way and even centralized medicine will take you this way in a nutritionist, um, uh, situation, they'll make you go on an elimination diet and they'll make you add one food back at a time. Um, and that's, and that's how you'll know. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I learned that I had issues with, um, uh, well, not so much now I had issues with histamine for a while. And so like, I'd be eating avocado cause I really liked it. And I was like, oh, it's potassium and all that stuff, but I'd always get like kind of, um, runny nosy after I'd eat it. Um, really? even bone broth for a while in the beginning. Hmm. Um, and I think there's a degree of allergy that where you can persist through it to a non-negative degree. For instance, like I had a slight reaction to bone broth for like the first three months I was on carnivore, but it was very minute. And I knew the benefit of the collagen I was getting for my gut mucosa 
was at that point worth it more than the slight reaction I had. And as I worked on my gut health, it actually went away at one point. But you got to sort of like weigh the odds, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, It's sort of like any form of hormesis, right? Hormetic stress, like cold therapy is great. But if it causes you to flare after doing a a session of cryotherapy, like you probably want to start with something like ice dunks instead and not send your nervous system over into hyperdrive. Um, And it's the same with heat. Like you always start low and slow. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I still think as far as allergy testing goes, like the best way to do it is just like start with AIP. Like you were saying, like if if you make a lot of progress there, maybe you can just kind of stick around that. Um, But if you need to go further, like maybe consider going into a, a more... Uh, in-depth elimination diet with a practitioner or something like that. And just, you got, and sometimes, you know, sometimes it sucks, but sometimes you got to be analytical and you got to get the data and you got to be a little bit, you know, anal and just like Mm -hmm. track it. Like you said, I think keeping a food diary is like for anybody, like do it for a week and you'll be amazed at sometimes what you've eaten and how much you've eaten. Um, And then not only that, but then take it and say, I ate this. How do I feel? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Food and mood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's big. It It's funny because I think some people are turned off by like the simplicity of that idea because they want to do the test. Cause like, if I'm putting money into it, it's got to work. It's like, that was my mentality for many years. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it's not true, man. I spent, I low key, I'll tell, I'll be straight up. I spent like $20,000 trying to figure out my stuff. Mm-hmm. And what I actually figured it out was me doing stuff on my own for like a year. <laughs> and then yep. just like, I I learned a lot of stuff, but not 20 grand worth of stuff I didn't learn. <laughs> so it, it's just one of those things where it's like, sometimes the answer isn't throwing money at something. Yeah. 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 It's funny. I'm probably, I'm suspicious that I'm allergic to eggs of some sort. Just eggs, are, eggs are a weird one, man. I mean, some autoimmune and I, I mean, uh, Terry Walls has a good rule of thumb that I tend to follow with eggs where it's like cut them out for six months. And mm-hmm. then reintroduce the yolk and then kind of go from there. A lot of people have, like, you know, this. probably a lot of people have reactions to the uh, protein in the whites. Sure. Um, my girlfriend actually has a reaction to the yolks. Really? Which is the only person I've ever met like that. Um, yeah. And, you know, so, eggs are one of those foods where I think actually the more you eat them consistency, the higher likelihood of an intolerance you have. So mm-hmm. I actually like to just, because I do have autoimmune history, I just kind of cycle through them. So I'll go for a month where I eat them a bunch. Then I'll kind of, you know, taper it off for a while. Then I'll come back to it. Um, yeah, that's one thing I didn't cut out when I did AIP was because I was just eating, you know, that was a major protein source. So I was eating, I was still eating a lot of eggs. Yeah. So, and I'm sure the quality matters while, too. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, some people really have some sensitivity based on whether they were fed soy or whatever. Oh, so, yeah. you know, and that seems to be more of a problem. I got... Yeah. You know, the problem is that you get the non-GMO feed for your chickens, you know, if you're raising chickens and uh, some of the non-GMO organic feed is, you know, like Joel Salton says, is crap. He he was like feeding that kind of feed to his chickens and uh, they weren't thriving. And it turned out the dude was uh, his supplier was mixing in some, uh, you know, some uh, (laughs) some ground up leftovers from the stocks and stuff. You know? Well, and that's the thing. My, so my girlfriend's grandmother lives down the street from us here, and she, uh, her, her son has chickens there. Um, but he feeds them such crap. It's like I wouldn't even test those eggs with my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's too bad because it's like I'd love to have some chickens and just 
you know, get them without going to the store and stuff. So that's yeah. one goal down the line, get chickens. Um, yeah. But we, yeah, we, yeah, we free range in the, in the summertime. So they're like running around all over the that's place. That's awesome. So that's, that's, that's cool. good. In the wintertime, not so much. We were giving them GMO feed, but, or GMO free feed. And then they were, uh, but they were picking through it and they weren't eating very much of it. So, yeah. you know, it, it was weird. So, yeah, another thing that I really saw a big difference was getting off of the aluminum deal. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was yeah. like night and day. I was like, dang, I must be, I must be heavy metal poisoned. Oh, yeah. You know, because it was such a dramatic and I can't really explain what was different, but mm-hmm. it was different. Yeah. You know? No, it's funny because I mean, you know, my history, we sort of talked about it in the last podcast of like I had mercury toxicity from tuna consumption over like a four year period. Right. And I truly believe like if me and my brother ate that same amount of tuna, he might have had no problem. And I did. And that's because I mean, we have different detox pathway issues. Um, but my health was already compromised from the anorexia years before. Mm-hmm. And so um, even when we look at things like heavy metals, it's like, there's so much that goes into it because to, everyone's probably got a problem with it to some degree. I mean, it's in the air. If you live in a city, like you're getting all types right. of stuff, but I think about women's health products, like think about all the things that women put on their skin every day, like all the weird skincare routines that women do, yep. um, on their face. Like they're just lathering themselves in chemicals, like 24 seven. And so there's, I mean, it's not a surprise that women seem to have higher rates of autoimmune disease. I mean, they have so much more load, it feels mm-hmm. like. Um, and we actually switched like a year or a year or so ago to making our own deodorant, um, which was great. It's not too hard. Don't ask me how to do it on the podcast. My girlfriend does most <laughs> of it, but it, but it, she'll, she'll make up a batch, um, like just at, on the oven and stuff. Let it cool. Like we'll get the old, um, we'll just get other containers and just swap them out. Oh, wow. Um, with the new stuff. Yeah. And, like it'll last you six months, like make one batch last you like half a year. So it's, it's great. And it's pretty cheap. Um, I'll have to get the recipe and write a blog about it or something. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah we, there's a lot of folks. Yeah. Ahead, it's sorry. basically something in essential oils. It's like nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, there's so many people that are using that, that are allergic to peg, you know, yep. polyethylene glycol or whatever it is. It's in every shampoo. Oh yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah, and, uh, I I like strictly use like beef tallow soap, and that's like basically it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's just, and I like it. it Smell like if you get one with like some like a lemon scent in it or some essential oil in it, it smells great. Um, I'm trying to convert everyone in my family slowly, um, but yeah, it's it's really it's funny because when you kind of have a problem like like you or I have had, you kind of got to assess everything in your life. Mm-hmm. Because to some degree, probably everything you're doing is assisting this problem. Um, yeah. Diet's the definitely the go-to onboard people. I think that gets the most attention. But yeah, yeah, like skincare is huge. Like what you put on your body, the shampoo you use. Like go to any store and look at the ingredients on any shampoo, any of them that says natural or anything. Like they're all crap. Like mm-hmm. you'll you'll be hard pressed to find one at a supermarket that's any good. Um, yeah. And, and organic and, just means that they were this this month it's considered on the organic list and yep. they were able to get they were able to get the certification. Yep. Yep. Same yeah, same it, thing with food. A lot of the stuff that's yeah, there's a lot of greenwashing with organic and 
pasture oh, yeah. raised. Greenwashing and... is really getting bad. So, yeah, I yeah. mean, it's like, you know, do you spray your apples? Oh, yeah, I spray them, but this is organic. Well, and, and now there's like on apples and stuff that new appeal agent, oh, God, which yeah. is like, um, an organic agent, but the, I don't even know if they technically have to label a product with saying it's on it. So mm-hmm. like, I think the way I've circumvented that one is I actually, um, I actually called like various, like, I think like targets, one of those that's using them. The only store that I know that has refused to ever use, uh, or bring in produce that has appeal is natural brochures. Yep. I'm sure there are other ones, mm-hmm. but I, I, I'll be hard pressed to buy an apple that's not from a farmer's market again. <laughs> sure. Well, even yeah. natural grocers. So, you know, I mean, eat seasonally because you walk yep. into natural grocers right now and the apples are from New Zealand. Yep. Exactly. And it's like New Zealand. How'd you get an apple here that's from New Zealand? They had to do something, either spray it or cryo it or something. And, uh, you know, it's really funny also is um, I'm, I'm writing an article about you know, about gardening and, and the whole mindset around organic is you have to get used to the fact that your vegetables and your fruits won't look like the store. Yes. Yeah. It's big. You know, cause, cause organic apples look lobular. They look, you know, they may be, yeah. you know, buggy or whatever. And, but you know, at least, <laughs> at least they're not sprayed and lacquered up and everything else. And they usually taste different because they're not yeah. that, that, five or six apples that are stored and sometimes the shelf. size is different like i found wild berries mm-hmm. um foraging before and they're teensy tiny yep um it's it's pretty incredible like i mean it's crazy looking at pictures of various berries from like gmo grown to like natural they're like double the size sure. and the nutrition content may be lower <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. pretty wild um funny one thing on that about taste i introduced my uh, girlfriend's mom into grass-fed beef and stuff the last year or two and um the first time she cooked like some ground beef i got at the farmer's market that was grass-fed she was cooking it and tasted it and she's like she thought it was rotten because yeah. it tasted different and some people like it's i never really realized it until i thought about it but like it tastes so different yeah. um it's wild like the corn-fed beef we're so used to it has like a totally different flavor and like the marbling on like a grass fed ribeye is crazy different compared to like just a grain fed one. Um, they're so much leaner. It's, it's really incredible. Yeah. And you really need to get them from a local farmer because yeah. there's been a really big problem with, uh, so this, I used to work in uh, way back in it and ag and the, the meat that's in the middle of the country are the beef is, three years and younger cows, mm-hmm. the, the beef that's on the, on the coasts are old dairy cows that are falling over. They can't yeah. produce milk anymore. Right. So they figured out now they loosen the thing. So if you put some, you put one of these cows on pasture for a week, you can call them grass fed. And yeah. I've noticed that the grass fed quality has gone really, really bad. And, and you can so- normally tell when you look at it too, like it'll look mm-hmm more grain it'll look closer to the grain fed beef but yeah right. no i'm i'm 100 percent one of those people that's like eat like a local boar get to know your butcher your farmer sure. like get your produce when it's in season at the farmer's market when it's stop, when it's out of season you basically stop like me like i'm not gonna like hate on anyone for eating vegetables in the winter but like i i'm very seasonal in the fact that like if it ain't growing here i'm not eating it so i'm basically right. carnivore right now till probably april when stuff starts coming around again, 
and I can go to the farmer's market. So I, I know yeah. a guy that's 20 minutes north of me, gets uh, meat from his farm and mm-hmm. just kind of roll with it. Um, pickling and stuff is great. I, I can oh, yeah. a bunch of stuff with my dad, or I guess jarred because it's not in cans and like jars, but we like he jarred, like we they have a peach tree, so they jarred peaches for like the winter. But we like made pickles and sauerkraut this year, and it, it's really cool. Like, and, and those and those skills are all things that you talk about, like, mm-hmm. and, and they're super and they're pretty simple, most of them, and they're pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, I've got a Arkansas black apple tree. Nice. And they're hard as a rock when you, I mean, they look right, but you could literally kill somebody by throwing this apple at somebody. (laughs) And I took them and I put them in um, organic cotton bags and hung them from the rafters in the basement. And then they're just about good to eat now. Yeah. So they've lasted from October all the way to uh, January. And, uh, you know, so I've extended my season that way. That's wild. But yeah, it's, it's um it's definitely paradigm shattering because like you'll go to the store and even sometimes when it's in season like it's hard if you go to like a big supermarket mm-hmm. like it's hard to find something that's local sometimes like sure a lot of the fruits coming from like Mexico um and stuff like that um especially like things like avocados and 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 things but yeah, the, when I started eating more seasonally, that was like a huge paradigm shift in just my mentality of like, like what does healthy eating look like? Because just because it's an organic banana doesn't mean you should be eating it in January. You know, right. like, yeah, I mean, even in the summer, if you're in like northern latitude, it's still being shipped from mm-hmm. somewhere far away. And so there's just a lot of context to it, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Exactly. And another thing is honey. I mean, it's been one, yeah. noticing the, the, oh, it's coming from India, China. It's all mixed together. Yeah. And then, you know, it's obviously got corn syrup in it too. So, yeah. And I worry about anything that's coming from like that part of the world anyway, just because mm-hmm. I feel like processing standards are, I mean, standards in the US aren't great anyways. Right. Um, but like if they're coming from there, it's probably even worse. So mm-hmm. it's like, People, I mean, I always tell people too, because I think a lot of people worry about like price and like, yeah, it's like, you're going to spend more money a little bit when you go to your farmer and get beef. But if you're really price matching, you buy like half a cow, you're probably getting a better deal than just going to the market and buying like cuts of meat every day of the week sure. to like fill your plate and you're supporting local community. Um, And it just, it goes back to all that proof of work stuff. Um, so it's oh, like, yeah. so I think it's, I think it's like, you just got to remove sort of like, I mean, I think people don't make it a priority. You know what I mean? I mean, how many freaking, um, streaming subscriptions do you have? Like most <laughs> people have like six, um, and they watch it for like one show and then they don't even use it the rest of the year. And that's like $15 a month that yeah. once you add it up, it's probably over a hundred for all of them. And it's like, do you really need it? Um, yeah. I cancel it after that show's over, after I binge it. That's what I do. I mean, people just need to really sort their priorities. Like when I look at my statements, I definitely spend like top three things is like one of them is on food, but Mm -hmm. the quality of the food's the highest you're going to find that I can find in my area. Um, The nutrition is going to be the like best I can get. Um, And so I'm nourishing myself in a way that if I was spending the same amount of money in DoorDash, couldn't even be equated um, you know what I mean? Right. And you got to remove that idea that like convenience means better because in 
in modern times, generally it doesn't. <laughs> Usually yeah. you're trading time for convenience. Um, and yeah. when you get sick, time is the most valuable thing you have. Yeah. And even the organic food at the store, I mean, you know, it's shortcut. Yep. And you're going to get better if you go to better stuff, if you go to the farmer's market and talk to the people. Yeah. I've yes. got the lady down the street who, uh, who has bison and I'm, I'm working out a deal to get some, uh, That's some awesome. bison meat from her and stuff. And then the honey I get from the local guy that I know that I look at and eye to eye at the farmer's market <laughs> and then, or, or I get it at the monastery where I know, you know, I order from a monastery where I know that they're That's not cool. jacking with it. Right. That's so, very cool. Yeah. So, you know. Actually, one thing we did this year was like me and like, I'll just call my sister-in-law because at some point they will be, but um, mm-hmm. we, we went in on like a whole cow together. So we each got half and yeah. then we just split the freezer space because one of us had room for a freezer chest. So sure. I've just been doing that and I haven't even run out. And then the other thing too, is like this next year goal is to like get into some hunting and then hopefully like maybe not this year. Cause year one's always hard on the hunting front, but, um, like at some point, like get some game and then like have that extra meat on hand. One thing I noticed I'm um, going, going hunting with a friend. I was just there kind of just camping and hanging out is when mm-hmm. he got his elk, like the elk is just wild game is extremely lean. Like it's it's shocking like you're so used to seeing like a ribeye with all this marble in it and stuff but yeah. if you get an elk it's like where's the fat on this thing yeah. um, deer's like that too and you can deer's you very can actually, much like that you can actually see the muscle fibers and everything it makes it a Antelope lot easier too, yeah. to uh, harvest it you know and and uh butcher it yeah yeah but those are all like the man those are all the things i know you talk about a lot and it's, it's mm-hmm. something that after we spoke last i was like i need to start getting into this more and so that's what we're doing. My brother and I are taking like hunter safety in like a week and a half. Oh, cool. Um, so hopefully something will happen this next year. We might go with some friends and just kind of see what happens. I have a lot of friends that are into bow hunting now, but that's like, that's like next level for me. That's like, give me three years of normal hunting. We'll see where I'm at skill wise. And then maybe I'll try a bow and miss a hundred shots. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, we have, we have crossbow here, so yeah. it's pretty much That's just cool. like a gun. Right. And, yeah. you know, except you still got to be quiet enough and, you know, and scent free enough where they're not yeah. gonna, you know, and, and they'll just walk right up to me and be like underneath my tree and, and, and stuff, but talk 100%. a little bit about, uh, more about the red light and the, and the, um, glasses and the importance of the, of the evening time. Yeah. So we, um, I've been reading a lot more about melatonin, um, its role in just like disease process. And pretty much the way I have it figured out is that melatonin is like the master antioxidant that everyone's heard of, but doesn't know how important it really is. It's Mm -hmm. literally a thousand times more potent to like free oxygen species, ROS is then than vitamin C. It like it like can scavenge like double or more the amount of reactive oxygen species than vitamin C. It's mm-hmm. something crazy. And so one thing I never realized is that everyone equates melatonin to your sleep hormone, which it definitely is. And that's the hormone that's made in your pineal gland in your head. Um, and what I didn't know is that that's only 5% of the melatonin that's made in your body. The really? rest of it well, you, a lot of it's made in the gut mucosa, like 100 mm-hmm. to 400 like times more or something. Um, but also, it's made in your mitochondria itself. Um, and that's really? where it acts as sort of an, an antioxidant scavenging and stuff like that. Um, but the, the best way 
And I, and this is another seasonal aspect too, is like we have two dominant hormone cycles, vitamin D, which is a light hormone and melatonin, which is a darkness hormone. Mm -hmm. And most of us that live in the Northern hemisphere, we clearly have like summer or winter. So in the summer is when you should really be maxing that vitamin D storage. And that is a, that hormone is a dominant hormone during that season. Whereas melatonin, the darkness hormone should be taking dominant control in the winter when it's darker earlier, you have longer nighttime periods. Um, like you should really in that time, like as much as you can embrace the darkness. So that's why I say like, even when the sun goes down here in the next like 40 minutes or so, um, I'll basically be shifting to an orange bulb there. If I need a light that I can see, and then just these with my red tinted blue blockers to protect as much of that, mel as much of that melatonin utilization as possible, because pretty much any amount of artificial light after dark delays the release of your melatonin to get you into sleep and get you into deep sleep where you do all that repair work. And right. so light uh, I talk a lot on my page and stuff about the importance of getting enough light during the day that isn't just, you know, on a lamp or on your TV, getting that full spectrum light. But I do need to talk way more about getting darkness because yeah. you can throw off the entire day of getting good light by blasting your TV on bright and then turning all, all the lights on the last four hours before you go to bed because mm -hmm. you're telling your body it's a completely different time of day. Right. Um, and so usually what I'll do best practices for just protecting your melatonin, making sure you get good sleep to aid in all these other things we talked about in the podcast is make sure that you have a cool, dark room at night. Like if you're going to control one room in your house, make it your bedroom, like get blackout shades. I don't have blackout shades. But I have these thick fricking, uh, curtains right here that like mm -hmm. it, you could, I could put them down during high noon in summer and you think it's like 8 PM. Cause it's mm -hmm. like no light gets through that. So I really like that for night. And then if you're going to use light at night um, or you're going to use your phone, I have a shortcut that maybe I can send you to put in the description of the show. Uh, it's free. It's by a guy that I'm friends with named the blue light diet on uh, Twitter. He made a shortcut where you can basically take your phone. So I have a blue right here. Sorry, mm -hmm. I got all my texts going on right now blue right here, I can actually go into a shortcut on my phone and the link to uh, it that I'll give you is free. And it takes you to this page where you have blue phone and red phone. So at night, I'll just turn it to red. Really? And it doesn't, it doesn't eliminate the blue light just because I don't think that's possible, but it greatly mitigates it. And what I like about that is, one, it's not as jarring to look at your phone at night. Now, you do mitigate it by wearing like red blue blockers, like the ones I have here from Bond Charge. Sure. A bunch of companies make them, but you can mitigate that. But you have uh, blue light photoreceptors in your eyes. So the most important to protect melatonin is obviously wear those. Make sure you got red light bulbs if you're not wearing the, the glasses and make sure it's dark. You can use things like candles as well or firelight is really good. Oh, yeah. Or salt lamps um, just for cheaper options. Um, but what a lot of people don't think about is the light they get on their skin. You have photoreceptors in your skin that also hmm. send that mitochondrial signal of what time of day it is. Right. So if you don't, that's why I mainly put the red thing is so that on my face, my skin and I getting bombarded with just this blast of light. Um, another way to mitigate that is to just wear long sleeves at night, like put your pajamas on, block that skin from getting a bunch mm -hmm. of light. Um, and I've, it's all about a mitigation game. So you're never going to get it all like, can't get rid of all your lights and just use candles. I mean, you can if you want to go that route. 
Um, I live with other folks that definitely would never do that. So, so I try to just maintain that in my room space that I can control. Um, yeah. But it's it's all a mitigation game. Um, and then I think the secondary important thing you can do is like if you can see sunrise every day, like that sets every hormonal pathway that has to do with light from that alone. So everything mm-hmm. when I get up in the mornings, I leave my red blockers on, I put them back on, and then I make sure that the first light that my eye sees is the sunrise. So even if it's a little late, I usually wait to take those off until I go outside. And then if I'm working on the computer, I'll use the yellow computer ones. But um, those are sort of like best practices, I think, for for light on a high level. Um, But the key takeaway there is that food's great, um, all this other stuff we talked about, mega important, but you can do all that, mess up light, and still have symptoms of something. Yeah. Um, and so it's important to really embrace that natural cycle. And the cool thing about it is like, that's completely free. Usually the light stuff, like most sure. of it. And, um, it's easy to figure out when you're supposed to turn off the lights because you just watch where the sun's at. So mm-hmm. it's not a huge guessing game, like supplements with light. It's pretty simple, but it does take an adjustment period because we're so used to not doing any of that. It's very counterintuitive. Yeah. I've noticed. Uh, so with this cold, we've had a lot of fires in the fireplace oh. the last couple of weeks. Right. And it's just amazing how much different that is. It's you crazy. Know, I just think fire looking, the we're best. made to look at candles. We're made to look at fire in the evening. Yeah. Now, if I, if I could use my fireplace upstairs and it wouldn't annoy anybody every night, I freaking would. I'd be, we have so much wood. I don't know why we're not using it. Um, yeah. But Firelight is that's why I I think part of the benefit when people like go camping for a week and they get like the best sleep of their life and they just feel so good is like they're they're everything is just everything's set right. I know have you ever noticed like camping that like food tastes amazing when you're camping? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just like I just feel like all the dots connect when you're out in nature. Um, and so like the closest you can get to that is where you want to be. Um, so like my goal this summer is like camp every weekend, like go out for two days, go up into the mountains, just like pitch a tent somewhere and just like spend a night or two. Um, but yeah, no, I think those are kind of the basic ones to hit the nail on the head. Great. Excellent conversation again. So how do they, how do folks contact you, Ryan? Totally. Yeah. So, uh, I also have a podcast called decentralized radio. That's on the Spotify's, the tubes. Yep. I've been on that it. good stuff. You've <laughs> been on it. Yeah. We've talked. Um, and, uh, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, um, at Ryan Mitchell Brown. That's R Y A N Ryan Mitchell, M I T C H E L just one L that's why I have to spell it. And then Brown, mm-hmm. like the color. Um, and then you can reach out to me on my website. If you want to book a call, Look at any of the guides I've written that cover a lot of the stuff that we've spoken about today uh, more in depth at www.ryanmitchellbrown.com. Um, and yeah, so just hit me up. I'm, I'm down to have conversations with anybody. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, if you like this episode, leave us a tip on Venmo or Cash App at Thriving the Future or join the Patreon, patreon.com slash Thriving the Future. You get early episodes and you get extras. Thank you. Check out Thriving News. That's where Perpin and I share longer form articles about homesteading, mindset, milpa gardening, food forest, etc. Go check it out at thrivingnews.com. 
Thank you for listening to Thrive in the Future podcast. If you like what you hear, please click that like or subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at Thrive in the Future and also go to thriveinthefuture.com.